Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, what does Jesus mean when he says that the Pharisees don't practice what they preach? Two, did Jesus always practice what he preached? And three, who should Christians be more like? Jesus or the Pharisees? Matthew 23, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of God. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by brothers, by others, sorry. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. You are not to be called rabbi, for you have one another and are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There ends a reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Amen. Lord, our God, we do thank you for your word. We do praise you that you have spoken to us and that you've given us your word in writing and we can enjoy your whole counsel as given to us in all of your word. We thank you for these words this morning and we ask that as we look at them that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us to see clearly. And Lord, to not only see your desires and your commands and your demands clearly, but that we would see ourselves clearly as well. So please send your Holy Spirit, minister to us. Please use the preacher. Please bless our souls with your word as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus is not one to mince words. He may use words cleverly at times. He may use euphemisms at times as well, but Jesus is not one to mince words, and today we have some words that are very pointed, very pointed directly against hypocrisy. Against hypocrisy. Jesus is pointing out the hypocrisy specifically of the scribes and the Pharisees. Basically, when you're calling someone a hypocrite, you're saying, you're an actor, you're fake. What we're seeing, what you're projecting is not really at all who you are. That's basically the meaning of hypocrisy. Our passage this morning is a preface, a preface to Jesus speaking directly to the Pharisees. 
seven oys or seven woes. If you look at the Hebrew, it's oy, 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 seven woes of the Pharisees. And one time after another, he calls them out. This catalog of hypocrisy is about to come. This is part one. He's instructing his followers. Part two will be these woes that we'll look at, Lord willing, in weeks to come. And then at the end, there's a lament, part three, over what's about to happen in Jerusalem. They all tie in together. This morning, Jesus is speaking directly to the crowds or to the followers, and he sets the pace, really, for what the church is supposed to look like, specific instructions on what God's people are supposed to look like, the standard for believers, He uses the Pharisees and scribes as a negative example. Now remember that the scribes and Pharisees weren't all bad guys. Some of them were actually friends of Jesus. But Jesus is addressing what seems to be a a real problem, we might even say a hazard of the trade for the Pharisees. Hypocrisy was a hazard of their trade. Now, the scribes were usually a subset of the Pharisees, but he addresses directly the Pharisees. The Pharisees, actually, the name Pharisee to us is almost synonymous with hypocrisy. In fact, in the dictionary, Pharisaical is directly from this group of people. And even people with a very mild knowledge of the New Testament, when they hear that they're being Pharisaical or someone's being Pharisaical, they understand exactly what they mean means they're being hypocrites. And when Jesus points out these hazards of their trade, you realize that these men are good examples of religious badness. They're good examples of religious badness. They look God-centered, but they're really self-centered. And they're very concerned about what others think about them, but that's also very self-centered. And Jesus is saying, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like them. They are in a prominent position. Jesus says they sit on Moses' seat. A place of prominence, a place of authority, a place where the word is supposed to come forth. They're to be teachers of God's people. They have religious authority. They can help people to see what's right and wrong. The problem is they're adding to God's word or taking away God's word. They're making demands of people and they're not helping the people at all to carry the burdens that they're putting on them. It's all an outward show. It's all an outward show. What they loved about it is how impressive they were to other people. They probably thought they were impressing God too, but they certainly loved to impress other people. So Jesus gives us a list. They have these grandiose deeds in front of people. When they gave alms, it was a big deal. They announced it. They wanted their good deeds, their acts of mercy to be seen by many. It would be like if if I or our elders, when it came time when We were passing around the offering plate, which we haven't done for a while, and I came out with a big whopping tithe check and stood up here and plopped it in front of everybody, and the elders all came up and plopped their big oversized checks in the offering plate. Grandiose deeds. They love their religiously fancy outfits. 
They have extra large phylacteries. Phylacteries were from Exodus 13. They put a sign on their hand and a memorial between their eyes for this purpose that the Lord may be in your mouth. And yet what they did was they made the standard phylacteries bigger so everybody could see them to show how religious they were. They had extra fancy and extra long tassels or fringes. That also comes from the law of God where the Jews were supposed to have on their shawls tassels. Jesus wore them himself. They would make them extra long. But the whole purpose, the whole purpose of those tassels was that they would look at them, remember the commands of God, and look to God. They weren't so other people would look at them. But that's what they're using them for. They want the best seat in the synagogues, showy seats in the synagogues. I'm assuming that would mean like one up here where everyone could see. Church life is a little different. The best seats in church, I think, are, are the back row there. Or that blind spot where I know some people personally purposely sit, so I can't see them. But this was a place of prominence where people would, the Pharisees in particular and the scribes would sit so people could see just who they are. They loved heady titles. They loved to be called rabbi. They loved to be called teacher. They loved to be called father. But Jesus says, stay away from those titles. Not saying that titles are bad at all. They're not bad at all. Jesus was called rabbi. Rightfully so. There are other titles that were suitable. But this is the idea of having prestige because of your title. That it puts you a level above others. That might work in society. It might work in the military and probably needs to work in the military in other places, but not in the church. Not in the church. We're not to exalt people in the church. So call yourself rabbi. These are not to be your disciples, but Christ's disciples might want to be called teacher to show that you know more than other people. You might want to be called father to show that you're superior. That's the sense that's meant here. Think of things like the title Pope or Papa, father of the church, mother superior, the best nun of all. Given these titles is not helpful. A title father, I always kind of laugh. In my first church where I was an associate, it was in a very Roman Catholic neighborhood. And the church was tucked behind a 7-Eleven and the Arrowhead Tavern. And very often the police would have to show up for some reason or another, and I would interact with the police, and they would leave always saying, thank you, father, that was helpful. And I would laugh to myself because I had approximately five kids and a wife at the time, and I would say, father, indeed, Uh, But this idea of this esteem for these priests who were supposed to be unmarried and weren't supposed to have kids were called father. We might say these titles to put people on a pedestal. Some people take issue with the term reverend. The revered one. Some people take issue with the old school term that a lot of our Dutch people are familiar with, the domini. Lord of the church. We have to be very careful about the way that we use titles. 
titles of respect versus titles of privilege. And what I think Jesus is doing here, he's, he's trying to make sure that the people of God know that they're to avoid personality cults, to revere individuals, to put them on a pedestal, men with feet of clay. Instead, set your mind on God. Set your mind on Christ. Well, the Pharisees, in their own way, were preachers. And Jesus says that they do preach, and sometimes, this is what I'm saying, sometimes they would hit the target. That's why Jesus could say, obey what they say, because sometimes they get it right. When they stick to the word, when they point you to the word, they get it right. You need to obey them. The problem is very often they would lower the bar when it was to their advantage to get around the clear meaning of things that God had said, or they raise the bar to make it more difficult for others, again, when it's to their advantage to leverage authority. But when they spoke the word of God, when they spoke what Moses had said, listen and obey. But here's the problem with these Pharisees. They don't practice what they preach. They don't practice what they preach. It's it's what probably every parent at some point has experienced. Don't do what I do, do what I say. That's what they're saying to the people. Don't do what we do, do what we say. The thing is, they were really good at hiding the fact that they weren't doing it. So people thought that they were super pious, super religious, but they were pretty good at wearing that mask as actors, as being fake. They couldn't hide it from Jesus. He wasn't going to fall for all of their outward things. Jesus looks at the heart. Jesus also examines all the behavior. See, the Pharisees had a great problem. They were in desperate need of repentance from the inside out. Desperate need of repentance. It's interesting to me that Jesus chooses to focus on this in his last days of ministry before the cross. And he's warning them to repent. He's warning them and he's calling them in essence to repent. He's pointing out their flaws to help God's people not to go in that way, but he's got to be warning them because ominous, terrifying days are coming. Terrible things are about to happen in Jerusalem, in these people's generation. And they need to repent. Judgment is coming on Israel and judgment is coming on all mankind. And the problem is you might be able to fool men. You might be able to fool mankind, but you can't fool God. You can't fool God. You can get away with all kinds of things in this life. You can impress all kinds of people with your religiosity and your morality in this life, but you can't hide from God.
The problem also is that they're really, really good at hypocrisy. So good at it that they might even be fooling themselves. So here's a summary of their issues. They're insincere. They're unsympathetic. They're proud. And because of those things, they have no integrity. They've lost their credibility. Hypocrisy is always offensive. It's always offensive. But it's especially offensive when it's a moral leader. How many pastors, sometimes world-renowned pastors, moral people, at least you think, only to find out that they're horribly corrupted. The reason that is so offensive, not only to us, but the world, is because it is hypocrisy. My wife likes to say that sometimes preachers who struggle with a certain issue like to preach on that particular issue a lot, and then you find out that they fall in that very area. Maybe I'm an odd preacher, but if it were up to me, I would avoid preaching on the topics that are my favorite cherished sins. I guess that's what's helpful about expository preaching through books of the Bible. You have to preach it all whether you like it or not. And so that can do two things. It can either mask something that somebody's hiding, or you might assume that they're just so guilty that they're not willing to deal with specific topics. It's super offensive when a leader is acting as a hypocrite. But again, this is for all people. And what Jesus is getting at is, don't be like the Pharisees. Jesus is the one under the sun who can say without reservation, be like me. Be like me. Jesus, who had thoroughgoing integrity. He is our example. He's so much more. He's our redeemer, but he's our example. So just think of some of the things that are in direct contradiction to the way the Pharisees were behaving. Think of Jesus' humility constantly put forth in scriptures. Jesus, entirely humble. Jesus, with great authority, constantly going back to the scriptures. And when he's not going back directly to the scriptures, speaking authoritatively with power like no one else could speak. Authority that has the truth thoroughly behind it. Unparalleled authority. Consistency. Jesus could never be trapped because he never contradicted himself and he never behaved in a way that wasn't consistent with what he said. Perfect obedience in every way, personally. But here's where it's the rub for us. 
as our substitution. Because any one of us who looked in the mirror at some point would have to say, I am one of those hypocrites. But in Christ can also say, Jesus died for my hypocrisy. He died for my hypocrisy. He was my substitute, and so he is our hope. And we come from that and we discover that the point is that the true Christian attitude and conduct is to be directly opposed to what we see in those who are proud and unsympathetic. And we're to be like Jesus. How to be? Striving in holiness. Recognizing our shortcomings. Calling them sins when they're sins. Being real Christians. Seeking to be like Christ. And so let's look at a couple of things that we looked at with the Pharisees. Think of our status. People were sinners saved by grace. Sinners saved by grace. Humbling before God. No excuse for sin, but realistically facing our sin, but recognizing that we've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Consider our standard. It's the biblical commands. And the penetrating teaching of Jesus. We have no business skipping over our favorite sins and trying to rationalize them and justify them. Nor are we allowed to take our pet peeves and project them on others in a judgmental way. Our standard is God's word. And the penetrating teaching, the way that Jesus takes the teachings of Scripture and penetrates our hearts with them, the ministry of Christ, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Striving. Striving for love and obedience to God with a heart's desire. Remember the summary of the commandments. Striving to love God with all of our hearts. Striving to love our neighbor as ourselves. Pursuing those things. Let me put it this way, to be the greatest. Striving to be the greatest. Boy, I'd love someone to take that quote out of context and Pastor Clett would be the prosperity preacher. But here's what I mean, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The greatest among us are those who are servants to others. And that takes humility. Not looking for the best Christian award, but looking to imitate Christ. What's the opposite of hypocrisy? It would be fair to say maybe sincerity. Maybe it would be fair to say honesty. But I think the core, the root of hypocrisy is pride. 
is pride. It's self-serving pride. It's that we want other people to see us better than we are, and we think that God's going to see us better than we are. It, its core is pride. So the opposite, at least in my understanding, maybe it has a lot of opposites, but it's really humility. To get rid of that underlying root of pride. That's our struggle. The Christian struggle is that inward conflict. You know, hypocrisy has many faces, many masks as an actor. And so we need to work on unmasking ourselves. Our hypocrisy can come from expectations of others, making declarations, pointing fingers at others, and not applying those truths to ourselves. Pride can manifest itself by us wanting to look better or wanting to be better than others, thinking that we're actually above others because of our behavior. There are a number of kinds of hypocrisies, perhaps you don't have any. Maybe we need to look closer in the mirror sometimes. Thought about Snopes. If you don't know what Snopes is, it's when there's fake news that you hear some outrageous story and you want to find out it's true. And so you go to this site and it will tell you the facts behind big rumors sometimes and sometimes it'll say it's true. What if somebody snoped your life? Fake news, true story, actor, fake. It's a struggle we have, but it's a struggle that we can't live with. We can't live with hypocrisy. The solution is being real with God and being real with one another. Real with God, Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Being real with God and walking humbly with him and with one another. Well, I can't close without at least addressing that response that I've heard with my own ears from many people who've decided to stop coming to church or they don't want to come to church. It's almost become cliche to hear, well, there's too many hypocrites in church. Classic response. Church is full of hypocrites. So many things I want to say. It's not full yet. There's plenty of room. Come and add to the numbers. Come join the crowd, but find help. Come to our Hypocrites Anonymous class on Thursday night. Sorry, Thursday night study people. Come and join us because we're sinners too and you need help like we do. You see, there's no room for hypocrisy in the church. There's no room for hypocrisy in our lives, but there's plenty of room for hypocrites. And the only solution for a hypocrite is surrendering fully to Christ. 
and being humbled in his presence and recognizing that we are only sinners saved by the grace of God. So seriously, to deal with the issues of life before God and to become more like Christ, that he would work in us what's pleasing in his sight. Let's pray. O Lord, your word is truth. And sometimes it strikes us as raw truth. that penetrates our very lives and strikes to the heart. Lord, help us to examine ourselves closely. And where we recognize hypocrisy in our lives, help us, Lord, to deal with that before your throne of grace. We need help. Where we don't recognize it, Lord, because we're so good at refining our religiosity where we don't see it, Lord. Show us. Show us that we would humble ourselves before you. Seek your grace of repentance. We come to you in the name of our Savior, our substitutionary sacrifice who paid for our sins, even our